0: Welcome to The Five Things, this week in social. Each week, we search the galaxy for all of the best little bits of stardust so that we can bring you the five most out-of-this-world stories from the universe of social media so when you look up to the stars, your wish is granted. Today, our space cowboys are Tommy Boyce and Amanda Davis. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. Quick question, Star Wars or Star Trek? The answer's neither, but I don't know if I can say that. You sure can. All right, and we also have Amanda. Davis. Hi Amanda. Hey Joey. Space Oddity or Rocket Man? Rocket
1: Man. Elton John. Forever.
0: Nice. Tommy, do you have an answer for this one? That is a much better question. Space Oddity all the way. All right. I love the debate. All right, here we go. I'm Joey Scarillo, and we are about to go to ludicrous speed. Here are the five things. First up, Tommy tackles Twitter's annual brand bracket. Amanda digs into TikTok, who are rolling out the stories feature to more users. Instagram launches algorithm free feed for all users, and Tommy will explain that. Amanda tells us about a report that details 66% of brands are increasing influencer spending. And finally, Tommy tells us how podcasts are helping brands meet their DEI commitments. 54321, we're ready for takeoff. Tommy, kick us
2: off with Twitter. Yeah, so the Best of Tweets brand bracket is back, the time of year where Twitter recognizes the best brands on the platform. Twitter chose 16 favorites that sparked conversations, made users laugh, and connected to what's happening, and allowed ordinary folks to choose the champion. It's sort of like a March Madness-style bracket. Some of the brands included Netflix, Delta, Kroger's, Pringles, shout out to the Pringles team for that, and many more. It also grouped the brands in categories like Conversation starters, brands that led the pack by sending tweets people can't wait to reply to. Iconic mascots, brands that bring their personas to life, keeping the timeline you know animated with plenty of personality and relatable content. And team players, brands that harness the power of social connection through a plus community management. Some of the brands for community management included Wendy's for its roasting, of course. Skittles and Taco Bell. And I think this is a really one. It's fun that users actually get to choose what brands they like to see on Twitter and people who run those brands get a little nice reward for the good work they're doing. But I think the way that those categories are broken down is actually a really smart way of looking at how to use Twitter. So essentially, it, it's, this is Twitter boiling down the four best or four possible avenues we can use its platform for to achieve the most success, whether that's through constantly using a CM and being a part of conversations and engaging with fans or using your iconography and mascot as a way to leverage your brand identity, things like that. It's just a great reminder and a nice way to show some love to brands who are doing it. And it's a great case study for those looking to maybe improve their presence as seeing how other brands are showing up and taking notes from that and figuring out. I think it's important to probably also choose a lane. You can be jack of all trades, master of none, but it shows how brands have really found their lane and stuck to it and achieved great success in doing so. And I love voting for things. So it's all a lot of fun. So people should definitely check it out. So,
0: Tommy, I saw a brand that we talk about often on this show that I know you have much love for show their support. I don't think they were in the tournament, but they showed their support for Skittles. That was Tumblr. And they had a very funny little tweet that responded and said something in the effect of we and our 12 users support you. Do you appreciate that sort of, well, first that self-deprecating humor that Tumblr brings, but also that brands have those very specific voices on the platform?
2: God, I miss Tumblr. I do. Part of the fun on Twitter is is seeing how brands show up and the personality they bring. You want to be a recognizable person. You don't want to be a cereal or a toothbrush or whatever. And I think it's really important to figure out what you're capable of speaking to. And Tumblr, God bless it, has (laughs) had an interesting ride. It is not proven commercial. People have left the platform. Although actually, according to TikTok, it's having a renaissance. I still use Tumblr, full disclosure. That might come back to me one day but I'm not seeing much of a change in user base. But I think it's very important and fun for brands to know what they can speak to and the language they can use and really just honing in on it. And I did not see that Tumblr tweet. So I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah, it, it made me laugh and actually think of you. Amanda, question for you. Is this bracket just for marketers? Is this just for us to talk to each other? Or does the broader Twitter sphere, everyday Joe Twitter user care about brand brackets like this?
1: So I think it is definitely a marketing almost B2B activation. You know, it's put on by the Twitter marketing Twitter account. And what I think it does is it pulls in all of the engagement and interaction that these tweets had in their life cycle at that time from consumers and almost acts as case studies for us as marketers and other brands to kind of understand to Tommy's point, like what are the different ways that you can show up? what is success? Success isn't always just putting something out there and people, you know, thumbs it up. It's starting a conversation. It's back and forth engagement. It's more conversation between a brand and a consumer. So I think that we actually already received a lot of the consumer input with the way that these tweets kind of like went to market, for lack of a better word. And now what we're doing is being able to look at it through a marketing lens and say, you know, these were super valuable and provided this success that we can all
0: kind of look at and see the breadth of well at the time of this recording we do not know the winner yet but we i'm sure we'll find out soon can't wait this is an engaging and exciting time of the year all right so amanda let's switch over to tiktok now who are rolling out stories features for more of their users
1: All right. So TikTok has previously experimented with a stories feature, as we may have seen on platforms like Snapchat and Instagram, and it's actually now rolling it out to a larger group of users. The details aren't super clear. It looks like it's a lot of larger creators and influencers with followings that post regular content. I will say this feature works pretty similarly to how Instagram stories works. You have the same content capture and edit features that you have with your in-feed capabilities for TikTok, but they only exist for 24 hours. So with What's interesting and, and I'm curious to see how they evolve this is that the only place and the only way that users can engage with this is if they go to a creator's profile and they can see their story through there or if there's a little blue circle around their profile pic similar to Instagram when someone posts an Instagram story. So right now there is no feed where you can go through and look at all the stories of those that you follow. So the discovery is a little bit questionable but I think this is proving to be a pretty interesting conversation around what native behavior and native content looks like on apps. personally feel that TikTok is already pretty off the cuff and is less curated than what we would see on something like an Instagram or a Pinterest. So I'm not sure what kind of content users would want to see that is only available for 24 hours that they're maybe not already seeing. That's kind of the beauty of TikTok is that it's not so overproduced or overcurated. But again, TikTok does such a great job with their content and their algorithm. So more content, more consumers interacting with it builds more learnings for the algorithm. So it's going to go somewhere that we might not expect.
0: Yeah, I am curious, Tommy, do you see this as a way to get more users to create on TikTok? So somebody like me who maybe doesn't create TikToks, but watches them, maybe I could create a story or is there another use case that you think this new feature might have?
2: I think that's the goal for this. It's trying to increase engagement. I'm just not sure. I'm interested to see if people actually end up using it. I just don't think I think people conflate. We talk about how meta and Instagram and these platforms view TikTok as a competitor when to me, it's so much more of a competitor and comparable to YouTube. And YouTube doesn't have a stories feature. That's not what you go to the platform for. And I feel like TikTok at this point, there's such a low barrier to entry given how prolific it is and how much time people have had with it now. Like I now will occasionally make a TikTok if I feel like it, like once in a blue moon. And I was someone who up to this point would never do this. And so I think the goal, obviously, is more engagement. I just am not sure if taking other elements from, you know, from Snap or from Insta or Stories have previously been made a part of the user experience. I'm not sure if TikTok will see the success that maybe it wants to, or maybe the goal is just to get the average Joe hasn't posted yet to start having it be a part of their daily user behavior and then lead to having more content creators be created and be part of the platform and the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, it should be very interesting to see where this ends up. Up going. All right, uh, Tommy, let's talk about Instagram, who launched an algorithm free feed sorting option for all users. Let's get into it.
2: So, Instagram today is making a chronological feed available to all users. It is back, friends, as promised earlier, alongside other new feed filtering options that will allow you to scroll through posts from your favorite accounts. The feature has been launched to a limited testing base starting in January, but will now reach Instagram's global user base. So there's going to be three options for viewing your Insta feed, the main algorithmic home feed, the chronological feed, you know, the old way of viewing Instagram, and the new favorites feed, which consists of accounts that you choose, actually. So typically, the favorites feed would include, you know, the accounts of your best friends, your family, maybe some of your favorite content creators or memes accounts. But you could also use this option to curate any sort of accounts you want to view separately from your main feed. It's whatever it's your is your choose-your-own-adventure sort of Instagram viewing experience. But there is, I think, a big and interesting caveat to this new option is that the favorites and the chronological cannot be set as the default way of viewing Instagram. Instagram said, actually, that its research indicates people are more satisfied with a ranked feed, the current algorithmic feed, so we will not default users into the chronological feed experience when they open the app. I point this out because it's interesting that we saw the exact opposite happen from Twitter just two weeks back how it tried to introduce an algorithmic feed and people sort of, you know, lost their marbles and complained and it was reverted back to this, the existing chronological feed. So, and this is something also that Instagram fans for a while have had the chronological feed as sort of a white whale as the kind of bring back old Instagram. But I'm interested in that we're so used to the algorithm both as, you know, people who use a platform for posting content for brands and also as someone who uses the platform as a person, I'm so used to seeing the same sort of friends I regularly engage with on the platform, seeing the stories that actually swipe up, on be front of mind. And so I don't think I personally would revert back to the chronological way of viewing Instagram as much it's, you know, a victory of users choosing the way that they use the platform. I think we're all so ingrained in the current algorithm that personally, I'm not going to go back to the old way. And I'm interested in seeing if viewing habits and viewing behaviors actually prefer going back to the chronological feed, especially when Instagram. I mean, I follow like you know, like a 1000 people, that's so much content to sift through. And so I actually think Instagram is making a right choice here, giving users the option to choose the way they view the platform while keeping it. And I know it's good, obviously, for monetary and advertising purposes to keep it algorithmic first, but it's giving users the choice. And we talk about obviously Web3. And decentralization and power to the players, and so I actually think this is a really smart way of going about this new exciting development. And also the favorite speed sounds great. I'm going to definitely be using that in the future. Yeah, it kind of sounds
0: like they're giving people what they want while still keeping it the way they want the app to function. Um, I, you know, Amanda, do you think people are going to tap the Instagram icon at the top left and just view favorites or just view people they follow?
1: I think it will depend on how they evolve the algorithm. To Tommy's point, I've played around with viewing it chronologically and I tend to look through a couple of posts and then close my app because when I'm not being served the algorithm, I'm not being served all of the you know, computer learning and knowledge and research that goes into the algorithm, meaning the content that is something I'm interested in. It's clothing, it's you know, celebrities, it's my friends. I don't whatever that may be for each individual user. The algorithm is built to make you keep swiping because of this more sensational content that you're getting. So when you are served photos from your high school friends or your cousin or something that maybe doesn't feel as revolutionary and as exciting, it doesn't help them for you to not spend as much time in the app. So I think it will impact how they're algorithm is built. But at the same time, users might find more, I guess, excitement and engagement in the algorithm because that's why it was built.
0: Yeah, we shall see. It'll definitely be interesting. And it it makes you wonder, right, like how well does the algorithm really know me? Maybe even better than I know myself. All right, let's get into the fourth thing. Amanda, tell us about this report that details 66% of brands are increasing influencer spending. Very exciting.
1: Yeah. So a recent survey from Creator IQ and Tribe Dynamics shows that brands have actually increased their influencer spending by 66%. And that specifically references last year's spending compared to previous years. This is a huge jump, a huge number, especially, you know, understanding that we were in the second year of a pandemic. Production capabilities might have not been where they were before the pandemic. Brands really leaned on these influencers to tell their brand story in an authentic way. I think what's important to note, too, is 52% of the brands surveyed having expanded their creator marketing teams to help assist with this. So you would imagine that this is teams that maybe were, again, production heavy or worked in other parts of marketing that are now seeing the benefit and the value of creator marketing and making sure that they invest there. Some other interesting points from the survey is that a lot of the spending is focused on Instagram stories or has been focused on Instagram stories. But a lot of brands are starting to pay a lot more attention to TikTok as it grows and becomes a bigger opportunity. Specifically, 96% of brands and 88% of influencers reported using Instagram stories for this branded content. And meanwhile, only 46% of brands and 42% of influencers said that they use TikTok for this brand content. So overall, you know, the platforms, especially over the last few years, have worked to really celebrate and support this influencer content, providing resources, providing, again, support in the algorithm, making sure that their content is seen by users compared to in-app ads, which are still a big part of the experience. It's seeming that Influencer content is becoming equally, if not more important, for brands to show up on social that way. And last thing I'll mention is I know last week we had a conversation when we were recapping South by around how influencers have really evolved and like what are influencers? What are influential people? What do they do? What do they create? What does it look like? Even thinking of the beginning of TikTok, you know, early in the pandemic, there was this singular content style for dancing videos. But now we've moved into these like deeper insights into who these influencers are what they're making, what they're creating, their personality. So when you do get to tap into that nuance and you know their taste and how they make decisions, it makes it much more trustworthy when they talk about a brand or a product. And you really are actually getting their point of view versus something that might have felt singular previously. It's a very interesting survey.
0: Yeah. Speaking of uh, South by last week, when we talked to Kyla, she talked about the lack of influencer marketing at South by. So Tommy, I'm just curious, knowing that, what sort of jumped out to you from this report was Is it surprising at all for you?
2: That did surprise me. I was very surprised that South by did not include more influencer marketing when that seems to be sort of the name of the game right now in a lot of ways. We're seeing the popularity of TikTok just skyrocket. It's a behemoth. And the way through that is through influencers and through creators. And I'm... The the fact that people are spending more on influencers does not surprise me. It makes total sense. It's a way to reach audiences and have actual real engagement and community fostering that does not feel forced and actually can allow you to show up in surprising places and make deeper connections than normally you could foster. But again, going back to South By, maybe it's because the theme of South By this year was so obviously, Amanda, as you said, NFT heavy, Web3 heavy, just dominating the space. People forgot about the meat and potatoes of sort of the day-to-day marketing. It was all future-oriented. I mean, we talked about going to space for crying out loud. The also ties into the intro this week. But this makes total sense and obviously influencer marketing is a core part of what we do and whenever I think about influencer marketing I always think of the words of Kate Pierce which is co-creation, co-creation, co-creation and seeing brands spending more to do that I think is just a natural progression of the way that we're using social and it's certainly advisable.
0: Yes. All right. So let's land this spacecraft and bring it home and talk about how podcasts are helping brands meet their DEI commitments or I've also heard Jedi commitments, J-E-D-I, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Just a little tie into space again, Tommy. All right, let's talk, let's talk about podcasts.
2: All right, so there's a great article in Marketing Dive that talked about how podcasts are helping brands meet DEI commitments and highlight and support diverse talent. So podcast advertising continues to be a growth area for the industry. The top 500 podcasts saw a 20% increase in advertising revenue year over year in 2021. And in many cases, this trend is intersecting with another quickly moving development in advertising and marketing, the desire to invest in media with a diverse ownership. Media Radar, an advertising intelligence platform, platform, found in its reporting that podcasts are a particularly effective way of reaching diverse audiences. It found that Black listeners are streaming more audio and averaging a 73% brand recall for podcast ads, while podcast listening has doubled in the last three years among Hispanic listeners from 25 to 40. So this growth has led to an increased attention and investment in podcast networks that can better connect advertisers with diverse creators to reach these audiences. series XM this past month signed an exclusive deal with Revolver Podcast, a network that specializes in Spanish language language podcasts. And earlier this year, Pod Digital Media, a full-service agency for multicultural podcasters, signed a three-year, eight-figure ad deal with McDonald's as the QSR giant seeks to, you know, invest in diverse media partners. The article also mentions the importance of authenticity when creating content towards diverse communities. This is obviously, you know, a no-brainer. You need to find talent and creatives that can speak to the experiences that you're creating content about. It also talks about the importance of investing in the long-term partnerships, not just for the financial benefits that may happen from a long-term partnership, but because it actually allows for a real relationship with the content creators rather than doing what it calls, and I like this phrase, spot and dots of a podcast advertising that targets diverse audiences at specific times of the year. You know, brands uh, look at be part of the conversation and culture need an evergreen strategy of reaching these audiences all year round. I mean, I say this often, gay people don't just exist in June. It is March 31st and I am coming at you loud and clear. So this is a great article and it just speaks to the importance, again, of fostering these connections and making it part of your core campaign. You can't just talk about obviously black content during February. You can't talk about uh, queer content during June. It has to be a part of your actual campaign platform and the content you create. Otherwise, it's not going to reach the audiences and achieve the results that you might want to achieve. So definitely worth checking out. Absolutely. This is
0: a topic that I love talking to brands about. I love talking about. I think podcasts are a great way to expand your voice and to share your message in a long form way. A great example from a couple of years ago that I really just love is um, it's actually from Ben and Jerry's. They created a podcast with Fox Creative called Who We Are, a chronicle of racism in America. And it's not what you would expect from, from Ben and Jerry's, but it's also exactly what you would expect from Ben and Jerry's. So Amanda, I'm just curious, did anything in this story jump out to you as interesting or surprising?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the idea of audio focusing on a message that can be very personal and very emotional is not a topic that I think a lot of brands consider. And to your point, Tommy, is necessarily part of the marketing approach. It's not common that you have a channel or a platform or a content area where people are so focused on what they're listening to. You know, people listen to podcasts without distraction. They're not scrolling through the feed. They're not waiting for their TV show to come back, they really are invested in what the podcast is talking about and what the content is. And that's really rare, I think, for how brands can show up. So to bring this into, you know, something that does feel very personal to people, identity is such a personal, unique topic of conversation that isn't always easy to talk about. But being able to leverage that conversation as a brand in these places where you can have these deeper, more engaging conversations
0: is very important for, for a lot of marketers to, to wrap their head around. Absolutely. I will scream it from the mountaintops, add audio into your media mix, be creative in the audio space. All right, well, that does it for us this week. If you don't already, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. If you haven't heard our live South by Southwest recap that we talked about in this episode, check it out in the feed. It's the episode right before this. And the episode right before that is Tommy's episode of Famously Online. So check those out if you haven't already. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, your family, clients, coworkers, anybody who might gain some value. And as always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, a point of interest, or a complaint, email them over to podcast at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining us and Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes, making us sound awesome every single week. Thank you, listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The five things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.